We looked this morning at Isaiah 7, 8, and 9. As I say, the key verse is chapter 7, verse 9. If you don't stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. And I think it was quite a lot, it was quite a lot to read and probably quite a lot to digest. But the one thing that it wasn't was irrelevant. The one thing those chapters are not is irrelevant. It's about faith. Let's see if my pen will work here. Ah. And it's about the plans that are made with or without faith. If you look across at chapter 8, verse 12, it talks... Well, sorry, if you look at chapter 8, verse 10, it talks about strategies and plans. And some strategies and plans don't stand because Emmanuel, because God is with us. Other plans do stand because they fit with Emmanuel, but some don't. And in chapter 8, verse 12, he is is trying to get us to see that there's a way of looking at things which shows up features, and there's a way of looking at things in which features are diminished, uh, and sometimes it's not right to be over-impressed by something that you can see and over-fearful of it. So verse 12, do not call conspiracy. Everything these people call conspiracy. Do not fear what they fear. Do not dread it. This is, there is the right um, look. There is the right perception, which is the Lord Almighty is the one you are to regard as holy. He is the one you are to fear. He is the one you are to dread. He will be a sanctuary for etc. It goes on. And it sort of talks about a stone that causes men to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. So uh, the Lord Almighty is, in some contexts and in some ways, the holy place, the refuge, the sanctuary. And yet, if he is responded to and related to in the wrong way, he becomes a stone that you can trip over and a stone that actually falls on you. So, um, I don't know where I was going with that. We're talking about plans and faith. The faith that sees things as they should be seen. And I think that this affects us in, so I've made a little list, in Work life. So not everybody here is employed, but if you are employed, it will affect your work life. I think this affects the way we operate as a church, our church life. So to be very specific, all our plans for appointing an assistant pastor, we started those plans in 2015, have come to nothing so far, well, I say come to nothing. It hasn't resulted in, in a, appointing assistant pastor. So here is, here is an issue which we need to address in faith. I think that is a very important uh, thing. I've put there future. So we all look at the future. It depends a little bit where we're standing, but the future is a big thing for us, isn't it? So... Uh, 
For some of us, the future is, you know, there's an academic future and uh, then where it goes after that. Um, Some of us might be thinking we're coming towards the end of a chapter and where do we go on from there? If we look uh, in terms of church, you might like to imagine everybody in this room 10 years older and then think, what would that be looking like? Or some people in this room wouldn't be in this room because they'd be somewhere else. So the future, I think, is very relevant. Crises. Oops. So hopefully we don't have a crisis all the time. I suppose it wouldn't be a crisis then, would it? A crisis is something that pops up uh, and gives us sleepless nights and worries. So I could almost immediately think of a couple of people in this room who are you know, working through crisis and probably I don't know the half of it. Depression. When life sort of clouds over and the colour can't be seen anymore, how do, how, how do Christian people, because Christian people suffer from depression, how does faith operate in that and then I put here the promised land because that's a little bit like the future and there are promises of the promised land which are made um, my wife is from a, a family which is an immigrant family into the UK and I can see in her family the sense that they came here seeking the promised land because that's, that's, in a sense, the, the offer that is made to emigrants and immigrants. If you move, you will be in the promised land. And of course, we know that that promise is empty. Because the promised land is, n- is not to be found here on earth, is it? The promised land is the world to come. And, you know, there, there is a a thing of faith here. Are we, whose promises are we trusting? Who is offering us the golden future? So I think all these are about faith. And all of these are exactly where we're at. And this chapter and these thoughts address those. And if we have time, I would like us... Now, let's see what's a good way of doing this. I mean, in a minute, but not just at this moment. If we broke up into small groups and discussed that together, perhaps made that a matter of prayer, I could say how uh, any, there's any relevance of this to you. Let me just try and move this on. Come on. It worked before, didn't it? Yeah, it did, but it's not going to work now. Oh, it's a good idea. Oh, you're so clever. Because what's happening is the screen on here is a different size to the screen on there. So when I put my pen on here, it thinks I'm putting it on there. Let's look at the. Uh, 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 let's look at these three things. Let's look at the story itself. Uh, if we have time, we might like to pull some threads of New Testament connections, and then we could perhaps think about the themes that are going on in this chapter. And then at some point we'll uh, go and discuss together. So can we 
remind ourselves of some of the basic thoughts here. So I've got King Ahaz there. And can we remind ourselves what he's re- he reacts to a situation? What's the situation that he reacts to, please? So you have got to call out, and we have to do it fairly quickly. It, it's in chapter 7, and it's really just recapping what we saw this morning. So what's the situation that he's... Uh, thank you. So if I put those as two blobs, so that one is the northern kingdom, and I will try and change colour, and this is Aram, Syria, and these two are allied together and are threatening him. What's his response to this threat? What, what, what is his reaction to this threat? Let's put it that way. What is his reaction I'm sorry? He does, yes. Um, if, if I could take it back one step, what is his emotional response? Fear, yeah. Fear. Let's, so let's try and put in here fear. So that's a, a, an emotion that we all know, isn't it? He feared. And it says, so intense was the fear that... The hearts of his people, verse 2, were shaken as the trees of the forest are shaken by the wind. And he, let's see if I can change the colour of that. Don't bother, don't go away. So he goes to Assyria for help. This is like the writing that you do when Amazon deliver a parcel to you and you turn into an incompetent four-year-old when it comes to writing. So he he, he actually turns to Assyria, the the great power over the Euphrates River. Steve corrected me, said Nineveh wasn't the capital at that time, somewhere else was, but anyway, that's... That's where he turned for help. And let's put in the other people here. So Ahaz and his people. And let's try and make them quiver with fear. I'm not quite sure how to do that. We put some little marks like this as watch what Tintin used to have. Okay, so that's one group of people. And what they're told to do is, quite specifically, verse uh, 4, be careful, keep calm, don't be afraid, don't lose heart because of, and he explains the reasons why. And it's brought again in verse 9, If you don't stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. Just to re-emphasize that, this is the principle of life for the people of God. If you don't have that, you don't have anything. Let's look at this other group, and they're in chapter 8, verse 18. And they sort of stand as as a... 
as a contrast to Ahaz and the people whose hearts tremble with fear. So this is 8.18. Who shall, we, who shall I try and draw in this group? Yeah, let's put Mrs. Isaiah. And let's put the children. Because it's me and the children that you have given me. Let's. I think there's a number of them because I think this is the same group as is described in verse, seven, uh, verse 16. Bind up the testimony, seal up the law among my disciples. So whether this is family group plus, you know, Olivet students who happen to be staying with you or theological students who happen to be on placement or something like that. There seemed to be a little community. And please could somebody tell me... Um, well, t- tell me something about the, the children. So, uh, what are the names of the children? Yeah, I'm not going to even try and write all that. Sheer Jashub, which means a remnant will return. The Shub word is the, re- is the turn word. If you find Shub, it usually is turn. So, a remnant will return, double-edged name, uh, the people will be taken into exile. That's bad. Some of them will return. That's good. And this one is, no, what is it? Maher Shalal Hashbaz. Quick to the plunder, swift to the spoil. And these names are significant, as it says in 8. 18, here am I and the children the Lord has given me. We are signs and symbols in Israel from the Lord Almighty who dwells in Zion. So every time the children say, yes, I'm here in class at school, their name is read out and it says something. Every time, I don't know, they're photographed for the Jerusalem Argus, it says, um, Prophet Isaiah and children, and names them. Every time that it says something, it's sort of embedded into the social fabric to say, this is what God is saying about this situation. And the, the child that we... is rather enigmatic. So I've put him in this, in this group... But whether he really belongs in here is another question. So, Emmanuel, and the, and the meaning of his name is God with us. So, I was actually having a conversation with my son about this at tea time, which was rather encouraging. Was that meant to be fulfilled at the time of writing? Or is it something that's only fulfilled a long way off? Or is it one of these things that has partial fulfillments and future fulfillments? 
I think we can afford to say it is not clear uh, in the text. The text, I think, is allowed to set up questions and not answer them. It, it, It sets up a question. Is... So Ahaz himself is going to have a child called Hezekiah, and he's going to come up later. Is he going to be the one of whom we can say the government will be upon his shoulders and he will reign forever? It's a good question to ask. The answer turns out to be no. But Emmanuel, who who has got royalty attached to him, seems to be a key figure in this whole thinking, isn't he? Because it's Emmanuel's land. God is with us. Propose your plan, it will not stand, chapter 8, verse 10, because Emmanuel. And then we get into chapter 9, which we didn't read this evening, but unto us a son is born, unto us, uh, unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, the government will be upon his shoulders. He will sit on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness, those two key things that have always been lacking. Justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. So here are the um, here are the here I am and the children you have given me. Now let's pause for a minute. It's actually quite rich, but I'm just thinking how to uh, how to draw out the richness of this. New Testament connections. Can you think of any places where the New Testament draws upon this and says that, or this, is that? Um, Any New Testament references that come to mind? Yes. Matthew, I think, would say that the birth of Jesus is the fulfillment of this. Yeah, uh, shall we look at it? Um, Matthew must be there somewhere. It's Matthew 1, verse 22. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. So that thought that God is with us is amplified from just saying God is on our side to God is with us in flesh. That's who Emmanuel is. That's a wonderful, rich fulfillment there. Thank you very much. Any other uh, New Testament references that come to mind? It is. Thank you very much. Yeah, that that I would guess is uh, is Matthew as well. Anybody find that? Matthew. Thank you very much. Matthew four, verse thirteen and fourteen. 
Leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum, which was by the lake in the area of Zebulun and Naphtali, to fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah, land of Zebulun, land of Naphtali, the way to the sea along the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. And there's Jesus the preacher walking along by the Sea of Galilee, calling fishermen to follow him. And he says, this is the fulfillment of that ancient prophecy. This is the king who was promised. He, this is the Emmanuel who, about whom the whole um, kingdom thing, it all hinges on him. It's a wonderful uh, insight for, for, for Matthew to bring, isn't it? Anything else? Yes, yes, the, 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 the preaching, the kingdom of, kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God is near. Yeah, yeah that, that's, the, that's the preaching, that's the declaration that comes, uh, comes with John the Baptist and it comes with Jesus. That's chapter 4, verse 17, Matthew. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. And if you can imagine putting, if you put that into all its context, that we have these um, really powerful prophecies of the kingdom, and it's, it's seen as relevant to Ahaz as he wobbles, wondering whether God is able to look after his kingdom or not. And we think of it in terms of politics and power and armies and invasions and things. And Jesus preaches the kingdom is near all these things that have been prophesied are um, are are here and you think well where is it what am i looking for and and there's jesus and he's telling people parables of the kingdom and he's telling them the kingdom of heaven is like and you expect him to say an army a, a king that went out for battle and he says the kingdom of heaven is like a farmer sowing seed Wow, uh, and, and the seed falls onto different ground. It's a very r- sort of radical take on the kingdom, and Jesus comes and preaches this. Thank you very much. Uh, let, let, is there is there another one? There's the well. I'm going to take the Hebrews one because this is this is. I think it, this expression is left field, isn't it? You wouldn't expect this one to be quoted. We're, we're going for Hebrews. And we're in chapter 2. And this is the part of Hebrews where he is defending, if you like, or asserting the humanness of the Saviour. So Hebrews 2 verse 5, it is not to angels that he has subjected the world to come about which we're speaking. So I guess his, his hearers are probably thinking this gospel about Jesus is, is an inferior thing. It's rather um, you know, earthbound. We would like something more spiritual. Uh, something perhaps to do with angels. And he says it, that misses the point. 
the Savior was made human because we're human and it's humans that need rescuing. And so Jesus was made human. So in verse Hebrews 2.10, he says, In bringing many sons to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the author of their salvation perfect through suffering. Both the one who makes men holy and those who are made holy are of the same something, the same family. And Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers. He says... I will declare your name to my brothers. In the presence of the congregation, I will sing your praises, which is a quote from one of the Psalms. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, he says, here am I and the children God has given me. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity so that by his death he might destroy him who holds the power of death. Um, And verse 16, it is not angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants. So um, his point being that the Savior, that was Hebrews 2, around and about verse 16, is saying there is something glorious about the Savior in that he is one of us. He's family with us. And the quote that the writer of the Hebrews chooses to spell this out is is from Isaiah. Here I am and the children God has given me. So I think that's a little bit beyond me to explain the relevance of that. But I can point out that I will put my trust in him bit, which is... Correct me if I'm wrong. Isn't that the the verse before? Is it the verse before? Yes, it is. I will put my trust in Him. So, if we were to uh, if we were to say what characterises this this group, we would say that they are family. that they are a family of faith. Which is rather interesting, because that's the theme of this chapter, isn't it? And we would also say they are a family who are sort of founded upon the law and the testimony That's what characterizes them. And I think the writer to the Hebrews is saying, he's saying at least that's where Jesus is at. Uh, he is so part of us that we form community with him. We're family with him. We're a family marked by faith. And we're a family which holds on to the word. Does that make sense? Shall I I say that again? In Isaiah, chapter 8, verse 16, bind up the testimony, seal up the law among my disciples. So that's the testimony, the word thing, is an important feature which contrasts them with the other group, the non-believing group. And the law and the testimony is then in verse, chapter 8, verse 20, to the law and the testimony. If they don't speak according to this word, they have no light. So the, it's a key 
decisive thing. Do they trust the words of God? Do they have the words of God and look to the words of God? And then it's specific that, verse 17, they wait for the Lord and put their trust in him. They're a family of faith. Right, I'm sure I had a very good idea as to go where next, but it's completely escaped me. So we'll we'll stop there. Does anybody like to offer any observations? I think I just interrupted you as you were about to say something. Yeah. Oh, well said, yes. Um, Jesus in the boat. Yes. Uh, the disciples were in fear, and Jesus contrasted that with their lack of faith. Yes. Uh, not just on one occasion, but several instances through the New Testament. So it's a common family of faith. Yeah. They don't fear. Uh, faith and it goes back even into to Joshua. Don't fear. Yeah. Uh, I am with you. Yeah. Thank you, that's well said, because these, these two are opposites, aren't they? Uh, fear and faith. Yep. Thank you. Any other observations? Thank you very much. Yes, it's, it's a family um, given by God, yes. So it's a family that God's made in some sense. Yeah, thank you very much for that. Thank you. That's, that's right. There's a, a, a certain degree of cloudiness about him, his family, his birth. And yet he is the crucial point of all, all, all the logic of it, isn't it? Because it's your land. Um, God with us is the key thought to anchor everything. This is where I, I, have to, I have to confess my limitations because I haven't, I, haven't, I haven't got that in the sense I haven't, I haven't, got, I haven't understood it. The, the, the interesting thing to me is that Isaiah can say I and the family if I put kids because it's easier to write that. And then the writer to the Hebrews can say that the I is Jesus. So there's a likeness between Isaiah and his group and Jesus and his church. So that I would, um, yeah, 
there's a likeness somewhere there. Thank you. Thank you for that, Ray. Yes, appreciate that. Yes. Um, right. Let's go back to those things. Yes. Oh, right. Go on then. Yeah. Carry on. Why are you confused? It's always helpful to know that people are confused. Yeah, I think that's a fair... I think we're all confused. Because he is talking in this bit about Emmanuel. So the Emmanuel is a child that's coming. And he's a key child because... Is he in his family? Well, he's very like Maher Shalal Hashbaz in that... Maher Shalal Hashbaz, it said in verse 4, before the boy knows how to something, the two kings will be gone. And of Emmanuel, it says, it says, um, verse 16, before the boy knows enough to something, the two kings will be, the land of the two kings will be laid waste. So there's some similarities. But if we were to say, well, does this mean they're the same person? The answer, no. There's, there's more to Emmanuel than there is to just the ordinary um, child of Isaiah. And then we might say, well, is, is, is this Emmanuel prophecy going to be fulfilled in Ahaz's son, the next son of David? So we might legitimately read on through and say, well, is this the one? And then we find, in due course, he isn't. So we're still looking for fulfilment. And the, the wonderful thing is that Matthew says, when Jesus was born, this is the fulfilment. Does that make any, any clearer? Yeah. The, 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 in the way that Old Testament promises work, you are looking for the fulfillment of them, but you're constantly disappointed until Jesus comes. So one example would be Abraham and Isaac, where he's, he's, he's told to slaughter Isaac as a burnt offering. And you think, right, here we are. We've got the son who is slain as an offering Sin is going to be dealt with. This will be the last chapter in the Bible. But just as it's all going to happen, oh, stop! Don't kill Isaac. He's not the one. Um, slaughter a ram instead, which is a disappointment because we're, we're going back to animal sacrifices, or we're going to animal sacrifices, and it's only when we get to the cross, when the beloved son is put on the cross and the anger of God comes and you wait for a voice from heaven to say, no, don't kill him. But no voice comes. And he is the one who fulfills all of that. Yep. 
those among the people of God who really, who really had God with them. Yeah. Which kind of would make some sense in chapter 8, I suppose. Well, I wasn't totally convinced. Yeah, I think, I, I think whatever, insofar as I've come to a conclusion to thinking this through, whatever solution you propose short of it being Jesus is always unsatisfactory. Whatever intermediate fulfilment you have, you think, yeah, that's not that's that's good, but not good enough. And yeah. Well, I hope I haven't confused everybody. Perhaps I have. Don't know. Um, would you be happy to break up into groups of four or five and 